1: And for the first time in a while, we are here for the Arrowhead Pride Tuesday show. Pete Sweeney with Sean Barber. Sean, how are we doing today?
2: Uh, great today, you know what I'm saying? The Chiefs um, celebrating another win, uh, back-to-back wins, getting off that that terrible five-game uh, losing streak. With uh, Back-to-back wins is always a great thing. Um, I know Arrowhead way all the players, and everybody is... Kind of uh, they got the, the the wind back under their sails a little bit. You know, everybody's kind of feeling good again.
1: You know, I'm going to be completely honest. I, I did not see this coming. I, I thought the season was unfixable. It looked like the offense had no juice. Uh, I, I could not believe that they have now been able to come back from this hole. And they're right in control of their own destiny. A win gets the AFC West on Sunday. Can you believe that, you know, when – they were six and six, and you really didn't know what was going to happen next.
2: Well, I mean, when everybody jumped off the boat, I mean, I I, I started to um, do little chants with my man S dot <laughs> here, uh, my little my little Chiefs mini me. Uh, we started having some conversations in the, in the private room about what's going on and um, how concerned we were pressing panic buttons or we needed to change coordinators and all these things. And uh, what Andy Reid does when things get a little bit rocky is he stays the he stays the course, and I think that's what we saw in the last few weeks. Um, allowing uh, Matt Nagy to take over some of the play calling and to kind of re re energize the offense, but defensively, uh, staying with the same people, the same personnel, the same calls. And when things got a little bit uh, rocky on the defense of that ball, he was you know he had to suspend uh, Marcus Peters at a, at a point, make a, a coaching decision, um, not 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 a not a player's decision, but actually actual coaching decision to sit one of your best players um, about to face a. A very high-powered offense, um, he made some tough decisions. And I think the overall the team uh, rallied behind him.
1: What a decision because you look at it, and I was not confident in the sect without Marcus Peters, and they had their game of their lives last game against the Raiders. And so, you, you know, you, of course, have these fans questioning, do we even need Peters? And he comes back and probably played the best game of his season. So, again <laughs> – I was doubting the Chiefs. I'll be the first to admit it. Andy Reid is able to really bench himself, and Matt Nagy has (laughs) juiced this offense. And then a great decision to suspend Marcus Peters. I've heard uh, talks, too, that he was a different guy all week. He just came back with a different attitude, and and I said it a bunch of times in in articles and on this podcast itself. It could have gone one in two ways, and at least through one week, it was positive because his two interceptions were big in this game.
2: Oh, definitely. Um, and, you, and you look at it from a player's mentality. Sometimes, I mean, guys who are on the end of the roster. Sometimes they need to be cut to understand how valuable that 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 roster position is. How valuable just being a part of a team in the NFL. Um, don't take it for granted. And so sometimes you have to get you know things taken away from you that you really love to show you know really show yourself and to uh, give it the right amount of uh, appreciation and attention. And so that's kind of probably what, what happened with Marcus. I mean, he was kind of falling into a lull. Everybody's telling him how good and great he is, and he's one of the top, you know, corners in the league. But nobody's throwing the ball his way, and um, he's playing off coverage, kind of a uh, um, not really. Uh, not, you know, not really to a high intensity level, like letting people catch the ball in front of him. And then people started to uh, doubt his tackling ability because he's always going for strips. And it became just, a, a, just a, just a uh, you know, like an avalanche of negativity surrounding that player that, that culminated with him throwing the flag up into the stands and uh, a possible, you know, argument with the coach, getting him suspended. Whatever it happened before then, it just all, uh, you know, it was kind of like the perfect storm. And allowing him to sit down and watch the other guys play and then allowing those guys to rise up when everybody doubted them and proved that they could play, I think it was it was a win-win situation and coach just, you know, he, he made the best move.
1: I think every so often even with people and and you and you get into a rut sometimes and you need to take a little break, take a step back, breathe a little bit, and he came back with a new energy again. The two interceptions, he was involved in the strip as well, big moments in this game. We'll get into the three keys. After the break, I also want to talk about the trenches. We've seen Zach Fulton and Brian Whitman sort of re-entered into the lineup now that Mitch Morris has done for the year. Fulton taking over at center. Brian Whitman goes back at left guard. And the run game has drastically improved, whether it be Nagy, whether it be the offensive line combination of things. The offense is rolling. And we've said for so long, Kareem Hunt was in this rut, you know, another guy that was in a rut. And the changes – have now unlocked Kareem Hunt's ability, and it's opening things up in the pass game as well.
2: Yeah, the run game has always been used to uh, wear down a defense and then open up the play-action pass, open up the passing game, Um, being able to use the run game to manipulate the safeties, uh, having a weapon like Travis Kelsey to keep the safeties honest um, in the middle of the field, and then being able to connect and hit a deep threat when, when the cheetah's loose, when he's unleashed, uh, to be able to make that connection, I mean it's it's a it's a triple threat. It's a way to keep keep defenses very honest on what you're doing. Um, the play calling is so special with setting up certain plays and uh, just playing things really close to the vest and understanding that the running game is something you can't go away from. We we have to run the ball to be successful. There's no uh, there's no score. There's no game plan that shouldn't include a, a heavy dose of uh, Kareem Hunt.
1: Seth Kaiser did an article that you can find on ourheadpride.com today. The Chiefs O-line versus the Chargers. He watched each and every offensive lineman for every offensive play. Like, I mean, the guy has too much time.
2: <laughs> Hats off to him for that. I mean,
1: And he evaluates each one. And his general thought at the end of the article is that it's improved. And you could see it both in the production and these final scores. Uh, games the Chiefs need to win. They are now winning. I want to talk about something after the game. Uh, before we get into your three keys, Sean, Tombahali. Helping a division rival. I get it. Football is family. But he's going to help Joey Bosa with his pass rush game after the game? Come on, Tamba.
2: <laughs> well, luckily it wasn't after the first game. He waited until after the second game we played him, so he know we don't have to see him again. But, I mean, Tomba is a pro's pro. He's a guy who, uh, you know, his nature and his character and his his dedication about the game is something that – I mean, he doesn't want it to uh, don't don't let it die with him. You know, if he can see another player take his moves and take some of his his teaching and tutelage, and I think he sees the the potential. And but Joey that's a Bosa. charger. He's going
1: to be playing your Chiefs for the next ten years. so
2: you don't know that. You know, <laughs> maybe that might be an off-season acquisition that we make one one, one year. You know, uh, with Neil Smith? Right, he started as Chief, went to the Broncos. Sure. So there's always some inner division, uh, um trades that go on in a, in a player's career that you just never know about. So
1: I, I'm kind of half kidding, but it is funny. I would say how the game has sort of changed from the days when you were playing to oh. now where where guys seem to be friends like i almost i almost get get the get the feeling it's like yeah the jokes and all the fans because we're millionaires you know what i mean like i don't know there's just not the heated rivalries that you saw back in the days of like the raiders and the chiefs when you were playing
2: yeah i think we used to i mean we used to joke about it but it was a it was a sense that we used to kind of like have a urge to wait at the other team's locker room to like fight after the game like like it was never a a no kind of kinship friendship um, I mean, I truly disliked a lot of the guys I played against, and if it if it wasn't a legal thing, I think that many times after a game, after some low cut blocks and some things like that, I mean, I, I really it was an urge for me as a man to just wait for the guy outside the locker room and say, "Hey, you know, we're gonna handle this off the field." Like, <laughs> but the, all the the trading of the jerseys and I the, mean,
1: this uh, year we watched Mar- Marshawn Lynch pop off the bench to fight his own team for Marcus Peters. Like that is crazy to me.
2: It's crazy. But I mean on a bigger scale it does show that, you know, when, when these guys are preaching family first, it's a fr- it's a football fraternity first. It's it's a complete we are all professional athletes first. And then we go to our separate teams, our separate corners. But, you know, once the off season comes we're still pros trying to be pros. Um, taking some of the young, like that's what Tomba did. Take a young guy, bring him under your wing, show him how to be a professional in all aspects of it. And I,
1: I've I've noticed too, like you see a lot of these positions in the league meet up during the offseason. Two guys in particular, Von Miller, gets all the pass rushers together so they can kind of exchange tips, which is unbelievable to me. Even even you know inviting multiple people from the division to you know a, a sort of camp, and a lot of the kickers do it. Cairo Santos expressed mm-hmm. to me that a lot of kickers get together for quote-unquote, a professional's camp where they all get together. So interesting just how the game has developed. And, again, you saw Tom Mahaly helping Joey Bosa. He'll play the Chiefs twice, you know, for the foreseeable future after the game. But, again, it is that football fraternity. When we come back, we'll get into Sean's three keys from the Chargers game. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Too loud. Welcome back to the Arrowhead Pride podcast Tuesday show Pete Sweeney here with Sean Barber and we're talking about your three keys to this big Chargers win the first being turnovers
2: man turnovers was big I mean if you go back to the first time we played them um, early in the season you know Phillip Rivers had three turnovers that was pretty much uh, that, that that was pretty much what sealed the game for the Kansas City Chiefs against the Chargers but now coming back late in the year um, coming off of a, I think, four-game win streak, um, playing great ball. The, the the offense is clicking on all. They got Hunter Henry going, and they have uh, the wide receiver core working. Gordon is working. Uh, the back, I mean, everything on offense is working well. Um, I think he didn't throw a turnover in like four games coming into this game, and he throws three in one of the most crucial games of the year.
1: And it seemed to me, too, that with every turnover in this game, because the Chargers had a 13-10 lead at one point Mm -hmm. where the defense looked awful on that first drive after the second half, it seemed that every turnover that the Chargers had, whether it be one of the interceptions or the fumble, but as they happened, they just were unraveling the Los Angeles Chargers. And you could see the desperation. And with each turnover, Phillip Rivers was getting more and more rattled and that last interception of Marcus Peters was an atrocious throw.
2: Yeah, I mean, both of, both of, both of the interceptions to Peters were, were basically just throwing it up and the defender's looking at the quarterback. Of course, while the receiver's running down the field and our defensive guys are looking at the quarterback, when the quarterback just throws it, for, I mean, obviously the defender has a better chance to get it than the offensive guy. And so for a quarterback to blame a receiver for you know running the route too long on that short – it, it, I mean, he, the receiver had no chance there. Yeah,
1: you could see Philip Rivers yelling at Ty Williams after one of the interceptions, but the the ball was so bad it wasn't anywhere near him. I, you wonder, even if he was running the quote unquote correct route, it was still a bad throw. Yeah. Dude, Pe- that, you know what I mean? was,
2: he jumped that route basically once the ball was hiked. He was he was eyeing that route, and went, once the ball uh, left Rivers' hands, he had the best beat on it by far from anybody on the field. So. Um, You know, that turnover was just an an, an unforced error, if you want to call it. But we definitely took advantage of it. And what you see from the Chiefs is they gained momentum every turnover. The team got more and more uh, steam behind them. The momentum got behind them. And when they made that turn uh, to score after that um, 13-10 deficit, after that, it was lights out. So turnover
1: is your first key to this game. Your second key, you were at this game. You are every Chiefs home game. You're the uniform man, making sure everyone's got their correct uniform on. But you were on the field, and you you felt that after the Chargers got this 13-10 lead, they got a little complacent.
2: Oh, Yeah. You, you, what you saw, even coming off the sideline, you you saw the charges kind of high fiving and, and 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 almost like oh we got this, you know, like, like like this is this is where we make our stand, this is where we win the game, like like we got them reeling. And then what you found out from Alex Smith and the Chiefs' offense is they answered, it, they they got slapped in the face. You know our defense gave up a quick strike, um you know that big long run off that crossing route by. Uh, Gordon, a couple missed tackles. That, you like know, a put, 49-yard game. 49-yard game, puts them in scoring position. They score a touchdown, and then our offense goes back, bam, answers it, takes the lead back.
1: To the Chiefs' credit, they were responding and getting points off turnovers, and that's something maybe you haven't seen in every game this year, especially in the midseason when they were losing football games.
2: Yeah, and definitely took advantage of opportunities, and that's the one thing about situational football. Um, and I think when we go back to some of those games that we lost, we we were not – taking advantage of some of those great opportunities you know we didn't make uh we didn't score off of turnovers we wasn't creating turnovers For whatever the reason was the team was just very um lackadaisical when it was to like you know putting really you know a, a series of positive plays in a row it was just a kind of a hit and miss and like you know you hear coach saying after some of the games we never got in a rhythm and when you hear coach says that that means that too many incomplete passes uh kind of infiltrated the system you never found a positive play, positive play, positive play, positive play, you know, consecutively to uh, to when the offense really gets in the rhythm and that's when you see those 30, 40-point scores.
1: Sean, and then your final point in this game was the fact that the atmosphere was crazy. And, and you know, I think... The Chiefs will always pump, you know, the sea of red. they say, you know, it's the loudest state in the world. But this was real on Saturday night, and you felt it affected the game.
2: Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, going back a week, that Raiders game, I was, I was almost stunned before the game started because I saw so much black and silver in the first bowl, the lower level. Um, it seems like it was like a one-to-two ratio as far as Raiders fans. I mean, I saw Raiders banners um, draped over the – uh, you know, first rail all around the stadium. It's like they bought all the first row seats. And I just saw Raider flag after Raider flag after Raider flag. And I'm looking around like, how is this to see a red when we have the Raiders here in Kansas City buying up all the, you know, really good seats and, and, and cheering for their their fans in our stadium. And this, this game, prime time, uh, it was a fight for first place against another division rival who was coming in hot and ready and wanting to win the division. Um, I heard a stat that the Chiefs have never won back to back AFC West titles. Um, and, it's crazy. And with the chance of doing something that's never been done before and having so much on the line and then answering the call, the Sea of Red was back. The fans were back. The atmosphere was ecstatic. Um, it's, and, three, it's
1: really credit to the Andy Reid, you know, and, and John Dorsey and Brett Veach and those guys because this was a team that would be looking up to the Broncos year after year after year. And it took a little while for them to to win first place, but here they have a golden opportunity to do back-to-back. And it's it's really nice when, you know, you see it in the AFC East. The Patriots win that division year after year. So if you can start putting some of these together, I think that's how you, you know, compete for championships. You have to get in the dance. And if you're winning the division, you're to be in the dance every year.
2: Definitely. I, I think everybody always says, you know, Coach Andy Reid is one of the most consistent Consistently winning head coaches almost in football history. He's always, you know, he's never an under five hundred guy. Um, and sometimes organizations take that for granted, you know, because you don't win a playoff game or you don't win Super Bowls. They start to take that uh, it's easy to win football. Man, the NFL, it's nothing easy about winning. Each Sunday, it's a dog fight. It's a, you're fighting for every inch. Uh, for every score, for every point, and to be able to be a, you know, consecutively uh, um, put, put, put teams out on the field that win consecutive seasons after seasons after seasons, I mean, that's just a uh, kind of a, just another uh, reason why you really want to say, you know, Andy Reid is definitely one of the best coaches, if not in uh, Chiefs history, in all of football.
1: And if you see all these mic'd ups, and sometimes there's a situation where a guy that's a rookie – Or a second year player is there with a veteran and they're at the Super Bowl, and the the veteran's like, This is my first time. You better enjoy this because you may never be back. And I think it's that type of situation where Andy Reid coached teams, and yes, he can sometimes drive you crazy with timeouts and clock management and, you know, with the offense potentially getting stale for stretches of games. But Andy Reid coached teams, make the playoffs and not every team in the league can say that i mean how long has it been since the jacksonville jaguars were in the playoffs i think they said 2007 they just clinched a playoff spot so you know what i mean like yes i understand that chiefs fans can sometimes get frustrated you know we need to take the next step we need to take the next step and that's real mm-hmm. but at the same time man things could be a lot worse
2: definitely and when you talk about consistency just just um, a nature and the an ambiance and, a, and an environment of creating a coaching environment, a learning environment for his players. Not only the, the veterans to come back each year and play and how to take care of certain veterans, give them plays off and stuff like that, but also how to integrate the young talent. Um, transitioning from De- Derek Johnson and Ragland, um, you know, releasing uh, some of the veteran wide receivers and going on to the Robinsons and Hills and and some of the young guys, chessing when he when it's heat, when he's ready, and then realizing w- when you have a young offensive line, how to how to just mold those guys to keep churning, keep churning, um, and, and and know that you have a. You know, Pro Bowl level running back behind you, you have a, you have a guy that you can give the ball to, you know, forty sometimes if you need to, and he will continue to be so elusive to make defenders miss and create positive yardage. You just got to get him started, and the offensive line has to be confident with the guy, you know, at the helm, Alex Smith, who coaches said no matter how many bullets people shoot at the team, Alex Smith is his guy. He's never wavered from that. He's never gave Alex Smith one one inch of uh, one, one iota of doubt. In himself or in the organization um, that has an Alex Smith, so you know he's our guy for the 2017 season. Let's see how far we can go.
1: And and it got to a point at six and six where people were questioning, myself included, and not that I didn't believe in Alex Smith, but it was more of a situation where I thought the offense was so broken, you might as well give Mahomes a shot. And there was a lot of people, you know, and and to Andy Reid's credit, he's like, you know what, we can turn this thing around. We could turn this thing around, and it was hard to believe at Mm -hmm. the time. But here they are, eight and six, with a golden opportunity to win the AFC West against who? The Miami Dolphins. And, and to to be in that in that situation, it's, that's exactly where you want to be, home against a bad team, able to make the playoffs. and That's what the Chiefs have on Sunday,
2: and definitely. And hope they take advantage of it because you know going into Week 17 um, on the road and being able to rest some of your veterans and and kind of prepare for the uh, postseason. That's a great feeling. That's a great feeling. What do you, what do
1: you think? Patrick Mahone's five touchdowns, 350 yards uh, against most, the likely. Broncos?
2: <laughs> <laughs> most likely he'll have the game of his life. And, uh, you know, every every, every, every all these un, uh, unheard of um, young players will have these great games. And it will be such a bright future for so the Chiefs we'll going see, We'll see you next year. Yes, sir.
1: <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, that's our review of the Chiefs and Chargers game. This has been the Tuesday show. He Sean Barber will be back on Thursday to preview the Chiefs and the Dolphins at Arrowhead Stadium. Sean's pointing at S. Dot his, his, his little figure. He'll he'll be there as well for Sean Barber on Pete Sweeney. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast.